Did you know that within a decade, women will hold $30 trillion in investable assets? Yet somehow, only 19% of women reported feeling confident in selecting investments that align with their long-term goals. Our friends at InvestHer are out to change that. InvestHer Con is the number one premier conference for women in real estate, and it's happening June 2nd through the 4th in Austin, Texas. InvestHerCon is not just another real estate conference. It's a transformational experience focused on real estate investing, business strategies, and self-care tactics, all designed to help women take control of their financial futures. Gain the knowledge and skills you need to grow your portfolio and build a sustainable business, all while connecting with over 500 women who are playing at the same level. To learn more and to get your tickets, visit InvestHerCon.com today and use the code 100BESTEVER to get $100 off your ticket. That's InvestHer, H-E-R, Con.com, promo code 100BESTEVER to get $100 off your ticket. Stick to the goal and keep a structure or an organization to your business. I'd say having a mentor is key. Sometimes that sounds cliche to have a mentor, but I just have found it so important. Before we get into it, I want to introduce you to Groundbreaker, today's sponsor and partner. They are an all-in-one suite of tools for small to medium-sized real estate syndicators. They've got a special focus on real estate syndicators with $1 million to $100 million assets under management. They help you increase productivity and investor satisfaction by automating fundraising, reporting, and investor relations through elegant and powerful workflows built by syndicators for syndicators. Groundbreaker will help you scale your business without the need to scale your overhead. So they're going to help reduce your costs because of the admin team that won't need to be as large. And they're going to help you reduce your risk of data breach because of the security systems that they have in place. They'll help you increase your revenue by growing your assets under management because you're going to be allowed to focus on the things that are most important, like business growth and operations not those administrative logistics. And ultimately, they're going to help you elevate your company's brand and professionalism and investor experience because your investors are going to enjoy having this platform with all their information versus however you're currently doing it. Three things specifically about Groundbreaker I personally like. One, super easy to use from an investor standpoint and from a general partner standpoint. Two, it allows investors and general partners to fund electronically, meaning that a limited partner can complete their entire subscription and funding cycle without leaving the platform. And on the general partnership side, for distributions, you can set it up so that you can trigger bulk ACH payments within the platform. And then the last thing I really like about Groundbreaker is it's, well, it's cost effective. It's healthy to the bottom line. Their basic plan allows sponsors to sign up for as little as $100 per month with no limits on deals or investors. And you can read all about the pricing on their website. Speaking of their website, it is groundbreaker.co forward slash Joe, J-O-E. And when you go there, groundbreaker.co forward slash J-O-E, you're going to get access to a pitch deck that the Groundbreaker team created so that you have a template should you want to use that and customize it for your own deal. So go to groundbreaker.co forward slash Joe. Quick disclaimer, the views and opinions expressed in this podcast are provided for informational purposes only and should not be construed as an offer to buy or sell any securities or to make or consider any investment or course of action. 
For more information, go to bestevershow.com. Best ever listeners, how you doing? Welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Joe Fairless. This is the world's longest running daily real estate investing podcast where we only talk about the best advice ever we don't get into. Any of that fluffy stuff with us today, Paul Montalongo. How you doing, Paul? Really good, Joe. How about yourself? Well, I'm glad to hear that. And the same. Appreciate you asking. A little bit about Paul. He's a full-time real estate investor and entrepreneur. He's got 40 years of real estate experience. 40 years, four decades worth of real estate experience. Portfolio consists of 555 units and based in San Antonio, Texas. Got a website, paulmontalongo.com. With that being said, Paul, you want to give the best ever listeners a little bit more about your background and your current focus? Sure. When you say 40 years experience, that makes me sound like an old guy, doesn't it? It's impressive. That's why I said it multiple times. <laughs> well, I did my first deal when I was 17 years old. My father said, buy real estate. So I believed him and I did. But anyway, through the course of my career, you know, I've done all the single family residence stuff and uh, flip and wholesale and cash flow, that kind of thing. And then about seven, eight years ago, someone introduced me to multi-unit properties. And I thought, now that's a cool idea. So I just took the life experience that I had, the career experience that I had, contact, network, et cetera, and just started acquiring multi-unit properties. And so that's brought me to here in 2020. And that's what I do full-time, just looking for multi-unit properties. And I still do single family and I still do that arena, but my primary focus is the multi-unit property. Okay. Let's go back in the time machine seven years ago. What were you doing from a real estate standpoint that was generating the most income prior to buying multifamilies? Single family flips. And I was doing it in various areas of the country. In the late 2008, 9, 10, 11, I did flips in California when the market was really calling for opportunities, right? So we did that. But when I got into multi-unit, I was doing single family flips and wholesales. And I think a lot of people who listen to your program, we were in the single family and you flip one and then you go find another and you flip one and you go find another. I mean, even if I were doing five or six or seven at a time, you're still basically on a one-off situation. So when I was introduced to the multi-unit concept, I'm like, oh, that makes sense. So one acquisition and multiple streams of revenue. I'd heard about it. Obviously, being in the real estate business, I'd heard about it, but it seemed too big to me. It seemed too overwhelming to me. And what I've discovered that a lot of people who've come into this space, at one point, it did seem too big. Like, how do I go raise millions of dollars? How do I manage hundreds of doors and the toilets that break with that? You know, these paradigms, these preconceptions that you have because you don't know any different. And then once you know different or once you learn different, well, then, ah, the world opened up the world becomes your carpet oyster. Were you living in San Antonio seven years ago? No, I was actually living in Las Vegas, doing real estate in California and some in Las Vegas, but mostly in California. I'm originally from San Antonio. I'd born and raised here. And then in 2009, I moved to Las Vegas for real estate opportunity. Mm-hmm. And I had some transitions in my life. And so I moved to Las Vegas and I spent eight years out there. And then I acquired a property in North Carolina. I moved to North Carolina and moved there for a couple of years. And then two years ago, I moved back to Texas, came back to my roots in San Antonio, and my current deal is in San Antonio. So that's kind of been my journey, my path there. How were you doing a flip in California when you were living in Las Vegas? Partners, competent partners, competent contractors. I was the money person. 
So that deal would be presented to me. I'd bet the deal. I would check out the numbers on the deal. And if the deal made sense to me, then I would fund the deal. And then I would have a competent partner that would run the contracts and run the contractors. And I was involved along the whole process, but in terms of actual day-to-days or even week-to-week operations to boots on the ground people. And I would visit about once every 30 to 40 days, check on the projects. That's when I really understood the power of what's going on with the internet. Doing your homework on the internet, sending job photos on the internet, paying all of your bills, because everything is virtual, right? That really helped. And that's when I really got an understanding of what the virtual world is about. So since then, I've been able to use the virtual world, obviously, like you and most people, Mm -hmm. to do this business. And I want to spend some time on the 555-unit portfolio, but just a follow-up question on that joint venture structure. What percent ownership do you get of that deal on a fix and flip, or is it just debt structure? It would depend, but usually, usually it'd be a 50-50. So as the money partner, someone would bring the labor and someone would bring the money. So as a money partner, then I'd be 50-50 joint venture partner. 50% on the profits. Sometimes I'd get a little interest on the money, but usually just if I brought the gap and if I brought the rehab, then 50-50 partner on the profits. How much were you putting into one deal? At the time, the values in California had really nosedived. So we could buy a deal for 200 and then put 40 or 50 into it, and then it would sell for 350. I'm using round numbers. Right. But why that was so cool is that the Californians would see a house and it would be for sale in the market after a rehab for 350,000, but just Two, three, four years earlier, that same house would have run 550, 600. So, in my experience, Californians were like, oh, this is a good deal. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Even though it was by most terms around the country, it's a small house, it was 1,200 square feet, maybe 1,400 square feet, that sort of thing. But Californians would be, oh, that's a good deal. So, there was never a vacancy of buyers because of values. And now, the values in those homes have met or exceeded the potential market value. So we call this a hyper market. In other words, all the elements were ripe for flips. There was low days on market, usually 30 or less. The banks were letting go of foreclosures. There was a pool of buyers, and it was hyper at that time. It was good eating. Yeah, it was. If you had some sensibility and didn't get greedy, at least I found What area of California? Mostly in the Inland Empire, Orange County and the Inland Empire. Now let's talk about 555 units. Yeah. What's the largest deal? I am a passive investor in 192. So the other ones, I have partnerships in four others, Mm -hmm. and they range from 80 units, 58 units, 120 units, that kind of thing you have the most active role in? One that I have the most active role in is up until about a year or so ago, it was a a marina RV park out in North Carolina. I call it 158 units. And the way I reasoned on that was- Is that the one you moved to North Carolina for? Yes, it is. So I moved over there to help stabilize it and to to put in place on-site management. So I was there two years and and then I moved on after it became stabilized. But I always classified a boat slip in a marina as a unit, like an apartment door, Mm -hmm. and an RV space as a unit, like an apartment door. Now, you receive your money a little bit differently, but 
to me, they were still units. So I believe the total number of that one was 158. You lived there for two years. I did. It was great because it was on the lake and I had an office that overlooked the lake every morning. <laughs> this is a great period of my life because most days when the weather was right, I'd go to work in shorts and flip-flops and a company t-shirt and look over the lake and do the business of the business because that was acceptable attire. In fact, if you went in any other kind of right. tire, you know, the you locals know. would go, ah, what's this guy up to, right? Mm -hmm. So that was a cool experience. On the general partnership side, how many people were on the general partnership and can you high level describe what everyone's goal was are you talking about the marina or are you talking about just in general my other ones yeah so i'm yeah, specifically yeah, yeah. talking about the marina four two had a minor role one was a mortgage guy and knew everything there was to know about mortgage and helped us with a mortgage and another one was someone that helped us raise money for it and then another partner her role was marketing administrative the paperwork involved in managing a business and then my role was the actual building out the business model to get the place stabilized and up to speed. Right? Okay. So, did all partners put in money? Yes. Okay. How much money did you have in that deal? That one, I had 55000 And then since then, I have 75000 I still have part of that, 75000 76000 actually, that is out to the property as a loan for cash. So you all still have that one? I've never bought a marina. And this is an RV park and marina. Is that correct? Here's the cool thing. So originally it was an RV park, right? And it okay. was zoned for RV park. So we had the concept of replacing the RVs with tiny homes and for nightly rentals. So what I discovered, and I didn't know then, I now know, is that the RV park zoning designation is the same as a tiny home designation, as long as that tiny home is 400 square feet or less, mm. and as long as it sits on an axle and it's transportable. So when a tiny home sits on an axle, it's transportable 400 square feet or less. It is designated by the United States Recreational Vehicle Association. It's designated as a recreational vehicle. Thus, it can be placed in an RV park. And they get more on a nightly basis through Airbnb, the RBO, TripAdvisor, any of those kinds of services, right? They get more per nightly rental than you would, say, to put an RV in there. For example, you put an RV on a pad, you might get $45, $55 a night. You put a tiny home on the pad, you could get 250 a night, depending on its location and depending on the time of year. Mm -hmm. Now, you're going to invest fifty-five dollars or $65,000 for a tiny home, but the business model was, I believe, 65% of the year occupancy. So at 65% of the year occupancy, it can be somewhat seasonal. At 65% of the year as occupied, at, say, 200 a night – then you pay for the tiny home, its infrastructure, furnishings, and so forth, just shy of three years. Okay. Like I think it was two years and nine months, something like that. And then beyond that, then it's just a cash flowing asset. Who That's, came up with that, that idea? That's next level. <laughs> it's a group effort, okay? Dang. So, so what's cool about this is we had looked at a lot of different models, everything from keeping it in an RV park to making it an Airstream park. Which is a thing. You may know this. It's a Airstream park. I don't know is that. Thing. Aren't yes. Airstreams RVs? They are. Classic Airstreams is a thing. So people will go stay in classic Airstreams at an RV park just because of the, what's the word I'm looking for? The ambiance. They're vintage usually. Mm -hmm. So we looked at that. We also looked at yurts. We also looked at tents. 
We also looked at little tiny cabins, and we finally settled on tiny homes. Why not yurts? Maintenance. They get dirty, and the tent material, I discovered, needs to be replaced, usually in a three- to five-year period, depending on its usage. And you can't put bathroom facilities into it. You have to walk down the hill to go to the community bathroom. So these tiny homes, they all have kitchens and bathroom facilities, air conditions, mini split units. Most of them have lofts. A number of them have balconies that overlook the lake. Yeah, it's a slick deal. Let me ask you this, Joe. How many lime green Jeeps do you see on the road? Lime green Jeeps? Lime green Jeep. Don't remember the last lime green Jeep I've seen on the road. Precisely. Now that I've pointed it out to you, you'll be I'll looking look for, for lime. Yeah, yeah, you'll, yeah. you'll see, oh, there's a lime green Jeep. There's a lime green Jeep. So, Is that the so reticular when, activating system? In those yes, 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 yes. So now since I've discovered tiny homes, <laughs> they're everywhere. So tiny home parks and tiny homes. And so a lime green Jeep, right? And the reason I use lime green Jeep is because my wife wants a Jeep and I keep telling her she needs to buy a, a lime green Jeep. <laughs> and, and we're having that conversation. And all, of course, everywhere we go, we see lime green Jeeps. But yeah, you have an awareness. It's the same thing in multifamily. I go back to my story. I didn't have that awareness prior to seven or eight years ago. I mean, I had this cursory knowledge that mm-hmm. was out there. I'd obviously lived in an apartment when I was younger. I had this knowing that it was out there. But once I stepped into it now, guess what? You're the same way. I'm certain everywhere you drive, everywhere you go, right. there's an apartment. It'd be cool to have that apartment. I wonder what that apartment costs. I wonder how much that is per door. I wonder what they had to do to that one. It's the lime green Jeep. You initially put in 55. You said now you've got 76. So that's 21K as a loan. So what happened that was unexpected that you put in an extra 21,000? Let's see. How can I say this? We didn't account for some of the overage in infrastructure. Okay some sewer and some water services. More was required than I anticipated. Was that tiny home specific? Whereas if you didn't do tiny homes, then if you did the yurts, then you wouldn't have had that? That's correct. Okay. So what about the tiny homes? Because each each of these tiny homes have a bathroom. Okay. So when you build out a a community, just for say of houses, right? Mm -hmm. You do a load test on what that community is going to require for sewer and water capacity and we underestimated that's all there is to it how is the project doing well it's doing well so i haven't been an integral part of it for a couple of years i get an overview on it and as i said my money's still invested in it and it's doing well let me put it to you this way it survived covid right and kind of an odd unexpected thing happened since people were on lockdown and in their houses they looked for places to go that were air quotes safe. So an outdoor park, an outdoor nightly facility seemed to make sense to people. So it was able to be sustained through that time. What type of loan do you have on it? Oh, you're going to ask me the hard questions here. It's a permanent and I believe it's a 10 year with a 25 year AM and it's somewhere in the 6%. So you've got yeah. some time to hold on to it. What's your plan for an exit, if any plan of exit? The plan for that one is to build out some more amenities in it and then refi, take some cash, and then either A, sell or keep and cash out. So sometime in the next three to five years. 
How many um, tiny homes have you built 30, on that? 38. 38 of them. Dang. Yeah, yeah. I like to talk about it because it was a unique deal to me. Most of my life, unique I spent deal to it. everyone who's listening to this, <laughs> to changing an any- uh, RV park to a tiny home village. <laughs> yeah, right now, currently, all over Central Texas, I'm in search for an RV park to right? do the because same I thing. Like to do the same thing, right? Good for you. So there's a set of conditions that it has to meet. It has to be zoning friendly. There has to be something major close to it that's an attraction, a theme park, a lake, a river, some kind of entertainment that causes people to want to come into your area. In Charlotte, there was the lake. It's a big NASCAR community, so there were always people coming in for NASCAR, and they needed a place to stay. The city can hardly hold the crowds that come in on big weekends. So Charlotte's a booming metropolis, right? Mm -hmm. So what I'm in search of now is – Maybe not a major metropolis area like that, but right on the outskirts of a San Antonio, of an Austin, of a Houston, somewhere in central Texas. I like to be boots on the ground, right? So somewhere that I can find an RV park. Here's the thing, Joe, about an RV park. If it has RV pads and it has trailers on it right now, and I say trailers, right, it will begin to cash the day you close. Mm-hmm. Maybe just a little bit of marketing, get some people on those pads while you convert it progressively to a tiny home park. So a tiny home, they're manufactured. And from the time you order it, it takes a couple of months. But when they actually put them on the assembly line, it only takes three days to build the tiny home. Who do you order from? There's a company in Virginia. They're called Pinnacle Park Homes. And they are a combination of Pinnacle Homes who built, if I remember correctly, mobile homes Mm -hmm. and Cavco, Cavco built RV, recreational vehicles. So they put their two heads together. They have an assembly line. They have a a really cool warehouse and they just, they feed these down a a railroad track and they have little ants crawling all over them, just building them (laughs) and they can can pop them out in about three days. They deliver them with a big trailer. You level them up, you skirt them. You connect all your infrastructure and furnish them. So anyway, I learned a lot. And the key thing is, though, you got to have a zoning-friendly track of land so that RV can be converted to tiny home because, like I said earlier, the zoning is the same. Or an agricultural piece of land that has little to no zoning or deed restrictions Mm -hmm. so that you can immediately go in and start putting infrastructure in and pads in and start filling it with tiny homes. And then, of course, you put some amenities around it. You put a pool and you put a bathhouse and a dog park and those sorts of things. Google tiny home parks, and they're peppered all over the country. I will. I'd like to know where the closest <laughs> one is to where I live in Cincinnati. Where do you, where do you live? I, Cincinnati. I live in Cincinnati. Yeah, so I'll, yeah. I'll do some research yeah. on that. I'd yeah. like to go see a village. Yeah. Um, That's what they call them too, villages. They should. That's an appropriate term for a tiny home community. Yeah. It was a different type project. It was more development than rehab. So very cool project. And that's why I wanted to talk about it so much. And thank you for humoring me. And I'm sure it was very interesting for a lot of the audience as well. Yeah. The Discovery Channel, they came out and did two episodes out there on the property because we had a resident that brought her own tiny home and placed it out there mm-hmm. that she had built. So they did a couple of episodes on the Discovery Channel. 
and we've actually had tiny homes come through the property and park for a couple of nights and then they move on down the road so like i said it is a thing taking a giant step back based on your experience what's your best real estate investing advice ever get a mentor i've been fortunate to have three men that have mentored me and not only have they mentored me in the technicalities of the business but They've helped me go through the ebb and flow and the ups and downs, the tides of the emotions that investors can get involved in. And very early on, my father was a mentor to me as well. He was in the real estate and construction business, and he's the one that originally told me buy real estate. And he's a businessman, so he also taught me how to operate a business, manage people, set a goal, stick to the goal, and keep a structure or an organization to your business. I'd say having a mentor is key. Sometimes that sounds cliche to have a mentor, but I just have found it so important. Well, there's a lot of truisms that sound cliche, but they're true (laughs) and you better do it. Otherwise, it's not going to work out. We're going to do a lightning round. You ready for the best ever lightning round? Let's do it. All right. First, quick word from our best ever partners. Groundbreaker helps you increase productivity and investor satisfaction by automating fundraising, reporting, and investor relations through elegant and powerful workflows built by syndicators for syndicators. Go to groundbreaker.co forward slash Joe. That's groundbreaker.co forward slash Joe to get a free deal pitch deck template. Looking for your next family vacation spot? Park Square Homes is teaming up with Amina's Mortgage Services to provide a turnkey experience for new vacation rental homes just 20 minutes from Disney World. For more info, contact Amina's Mortgage Services, and you can go to their website at aminas-ms.ca. That's aminas-ms.ca. Best ever way you like to give back to the community? Mentorship. I have a group of young to middle-aged men and a couple of women that I mentor. I'm just with them and my deal with them is they have access to me at any time and I handpick these folks and I don't charge them. I just mentor them. How can the best ever listeners learn more about what you're doing? Anything Paul Montalongo, paulmontalongo.com, any social media outlet at Paul Montalongo, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, Instagram. Paul, I thoroughly enjoyed our conversation and learning about joint venture structure on fix and flips and clearly the star of the show, the RV Park Marina turned tiny home village and the economics that drive that business decision. And it's also a good competitive advantage that you've created by turning something into something else that most people wouldn't do. Whereas if you're a value-add apartment building investor, I won't name any names, then that's a model that a lot of people have. So you're going to face similar competition, whereas they talk about the blue ocean strategy. You, You go where there's not a lot of blood in the water, and that's what you're doing. So thanks for being on the show, talking about that. Hope you have the best ever day, and talk to you again soon. Thank you, Joe. Best to you.